All right, we are looking at the book of? Ephesians. Yes. Ephesians can be found in your pew Bibles on page 949 it starts. Yes, very good. We've made it all the way to page 950. We're very excited about that. The Ephesians series will continue all fall. Everyone who's preaching is doing the series. The person who wrote the letter was? Yes. So we are looking at chapter 2, verses 1, 11 through 22. Chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. You'll find it helpful uh, to keep your Bibles open. Paul writes this. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that yet that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So Christ came near and proclaimed peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. The word of the Lord. In the movie, Mean Girls, A new girl named Katie comes to town, and Katie was reared in the African bush. Katie was homeschooled. Katie does not know the jungle of high school. And so she immediately makes two friends, Janice and Damien, and Janice tries to explain to her all of the groups that exist in high school, and this is what she says, and I quote. You got your freshmen, ROTC guys, preps, JV jocks, Asian nerds, cool Asians, varsity jocks, unfriendly black hotties, girls who eat their feelings, girls who don't eat anything, desperate wannabes, burnouts, sexually active band geeks, the greatest people you will ever meet, that's a reference to her, and the worst, she says, beware of the plastics. The plastics. Now, those of you who've seen the movie, which I'm guessing is about 82% of you, those of you who have seen the movie know that the plastics are the high point on the food chain of high school. 
And these are the three girls that run everything. And the, the movie talks about who's in and who's out, and oh my goodness, she likes my ex-boyfriend, and uh, it's a whole thing. I mean, right? Um, so it's this whole narrative. But one of the great lines of the many that are in Mean Girls is this one when Damien, she's, Katie's new, and she's trying to figure it out. And she says, you know what? I think I'm going to be a mathlete, because I really like math. And Damien goes, no, absolutely not. Are you kidding? That would be social suicide. Social suicide. The implication there is that by being in the right group, you survive. If you are in the wrong group, you do not survive. You've got to be in the right group. All of Mean Girls is about being in the right group and figuring out which group is the right group. And the reason so many of you have watched Mean Girls and the reason so many of you resonate with Mean Girls is because for way too many of us, our experience in either middle school or high school was a lot like Mean Girls. A lot of us know what it's like to walk down a hallway where people are talking and then when we get close enough, they stop talking. A lot of us know what it's like when the invitations to the party goes out and you don't get one. A lot of us know what it's like to go to the football game and realize that you have no one to sit with. A lot of us know what it's like to have in-groups and out-groups and to be in the out-group. We know what it's like to be in the out-group. And that was the experience of a lot of Gentiles in the early church. They felt exactly like that. The Jews, the Jews were the in-group. The Jews were the in-crowd. The Jews were the cool kids who knew all the cool words. I mean, Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus' disciples were Jews, and the first people who realized that he was Messiah, Son of God, were Jews. And the Jews knew all the words like Torah and Messiah and covenant and election, prophecy. The Jews knew all those words. They were in. And the Jews were really good at saying who was in and who was out. In fact, the entire law of God was built up as a big fence for the Jews. And the law had originally been given to set them apart, to call them to lives of holiness. And the whole Old Testament is basically the story of how they disobeyed and they got into a lot of trouble. They don't keep the law and their kingdoms fall apart. You get Israel, and you get Judah, and then Israel goes off into exile, and then Judah goes off into exile. And so by the time we get to the first century, the Jews that were still there and hanging on to the law were hanging on tight. Because being in the right group meant that you survived. And they wanted to survive. And so they made their walls really thick and high. you obeyed the law, you were in. If you didn't obey the law, you were out. You go to temple three times a year to celebrate, you're in. You don't 
you're out. You tithe everything, you're in. You don't, you're out. You raise up your children to marry other Jews, you're in. You don't, you're out. You circumcise your sons, you're in. You don't, you're out. And that was a big marker, circumcision. It was the one that was handed down by God directly to Abraham to say, this is how you are going to be set apart so that every generation knows. Every generation has to go through it again. You cut a covenant. That's how it works. So the Jews got very good at the law, very good at obeying the law, very good at saying who was in and who was out. You may remember that one of the insults that David gives to Goliath when he's battling him, and he's trying to get people to get fired up that he's going to go fight this, this guy. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the army of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And that was the language that was used in the first century. The Gentiles were the uncircumcised. The Jews were the circumcised. So you had this mean girl language that went back and forth between the Jews and the Gentiles. Those Jews are snobbish. They are uppity. They are exclusive. They hate everybody else. The Gentiles are disgusting. They eat weird food. They worship in weird ways. They do not know the true God. They don't circumcise their sons. They're disgusting. The Jews are snobs. Gentiles are gross. Jews are uppity. Gentiles are just plain disgusting. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Imagine trying to build a church out of those groups. So Paul says... You who are called the circumcision and you who are called the uncircumcision, you're all now together in this big pool. What are you going to do about it? And we get that. We get the in and the out and the mean girl language. I mean, you know, those Christian high kids, they're all a bunch of snobs. And the Asian kids all stick together. And the black kids are all on scholarship, and the Chimes kids are all cynical, and <laughs> the jocks are just focused on their sports. Right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just saying that I observe the stereotypes in every way. I'm just saying that these boxes work for me. I'm just saying that this makes me feel really comfortable to say that that group is different from my group. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because the assumption is that my group is the best group. And, and you either want to be in my group or you already are in my group. 
and that makes me feel very comfortable. I like my group. Your group isn't so good. Your group needs work. I don't know anything about your group, but I'm sure I wouldn't like you. <laughs> it's my group. I like my group. I didn't realize this week that I had a group until uh, I was talking with my friend Eric over here. Eric, raise your hand, wave. It's Eric. Shout out to Eric. Eric is a, yeah? Eric is a worship apprentice, and we were brainstorming about this service and the services to come. And Eric at one point said, we were talking about divisions, and Eric said, well, you know, as a Canadian, I think about the whole red and blue, and he went on from there, and I said, you're a Canadian? And he said, yeah. I said, I didn't know you were Canadian. And I realized that I had made just huge assumptions about Eric. I'd, I've only known him for like four and a half weeks. And I've just put him in this box. I just thought, here's this white guy. He speaks really good English. He's tenderhearted. He likes worship. If you had pressed me, I would have said, Eric is from Iowa. Eric is actually from Waterloo, Ontario. I didn't, I didn't realize that I had a group until I realized that Eric wasn't in my group. Where's Anna? Where's Anna? Anna. All right, that's Anna. Everybody shout out. Anna's another worship person. Stand up, Anna. You're... Yeah, give a shout out. That's Anna. Nice, thank you. Anna's another worship apprentice. And after our meeting, I went and talked with her about some of the things in the meeting. And again, here's what I thought about Anna. I thought, we well, you know she's on the worship apprentice team. She's the only person with some African-American ancestry in there. She's probably finding it really hard to be at this all-white, Christian Reformed-ish school. You know, let me just follow up with her and be sure she's all right. And then I find out that Anna went where to high school? Ileana Christian. Ileana Christian, as in Illinois, Indiana, Ileana. <laughs> and here I'm thinking she probably went to like Detroit Public. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, right? Yes, yes, you can go, oh, yes, <laughs> yes. Because I thought, what is with you? And I thought, my unconscious assumptions, here I was reaching out to be sensitive, realizing, wait, she's grown up with crazy Christian reform white people her whole life, right? And yeah, yes, thank you. And both of them were so gracious to me, so gracious to me, me just stumbling right over my, you know, Holland, Michigan white girlness, right? Just, just like stumbling right over it. And I just, just I said, can I, can I talk about this in the sermon? They were both like, yeah, yeah. Why? Because I look like the idiot, right? <laughs> they look fine. I didn't realize I had a group. I didn't realize I had a group. This week is called Unlearn Week. And I've got some things I need to unlearn. And the odds are really good you do too because we make these assumptions about people. We assume that if we see somebody who's tall and blonde, that she's probably Dutch Christian Reformed, and so we don't ask 
about her, and we don't find out that she's actually Scottish heritage and her father is an Assemblies of God pastor. You don't find that out unless we ask. You don't find out working with a Korean student. You may assume that this person's an immigrant. Maybe they have really good English, and so you think, wow, they really worked hard on their English, and then you realize that they've been in the States for four generations. They grew up in Los Angeles. They speak bad Korean. Right? I mean, we make these assumptions about people. And as soon as we make assumptions about people, that limits our reaching out to them. We become really comfortable in my box. And when we try to step out of our box, we do things like I did with Anna, where it's just like stupidness. Oh, man. Anybody else really feel like they need Jesus right now? <laughs> wow. So Paul's writing this letter to these groups that have been so clearly marked. And he says to him, oh, come on. He says, it's not, it's not like that. It's not like that anymore. He says, this is it. 14. For Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he's made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He's abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Paul says it's not like this. It's not like you have the Jews and then you add in a couple of Gentiles and then you get church. He says it's like you got the Jews and you got the Gentiles and you cram them all together and swirl them all up and you've got something brand new and that's church. It's not like there's an in-group and you add some of the out-group to it and it's all good. It's that you take the in-group and the out-group and all the other groups and you put them all together and that's church. And there's no in-group and there's no out-group. There's just one group, and that is church. That is disciples of Jesus Christ. He says it's new. The law is broken down. The whole reason for the law was to set you apart so that people would look to you and look to God so that you would be ready for when the Messiah came. But he says now the Messiah is here. The Messiah has come. So the law has been abolished. And you don't get to say mean girl things to each other anymore. You don't get to say things like that anymore, that the Gentiles are all like that, that the Jews are all like that. For Christ himself is our peace. There's one group and it's the church. And because of what God has done in Christ, you are in the in-group. You are in. There's no out and in if you are in Christ. There's just in. You are in the church. You are in Christ. Because of what God has done in Christ before the foundations of the world, when he chose you to be his children, 
Because of what God has done in Christ, there's one group, it's the church, and you're it. And that means, as he goes on to say, that we are in the household together. We are being built together as a dwelling place for God. Built up together as a dwelling place for God. And so when God comes in, that mean girl stuff goes out. And we don't get to say things anymore like the Christian high kids are all snobs or the jocks are all like this or the chimes people are all like that. We don't get to say that stuff anymore because those are lies and they build walls and they keep us from each other and it makes it very comfortable to stay in our group. We don't get to do that anymore. Instead, we get to live out of our new identity as people of God, as disciples of Jesus Christ. And that means we get to stand up from time to time and say, you know the stupid assumptions that I made this week? Wow. I need Jesus. It means we get to ask stupid questions of each other and say things like, where are you from? And as my sister, who's a Korean adoptee, used to get, your English is so good. Thanks, she'd say. I grew up in Holland, Michigan. It's okay when you're family to ask stupid questions. It's okay to do that. But that doesn't mean that because this is Unlearn Week, you get to just walk up to any random person who's different than you and say, hey, what's it like to be Korean at Calvin College? You don't get to do that. Questions come, it's okay. Thanks, guys. <laughs> nice. With permission, out of relationship, those people you can ask, go right ahead. It's all good. I've been in different places, the token person. I'm a, in case you haven't noticed, I'm a woman in ministry. And uh, I've been that for about 20 years now, but um, I'll often get asked questions as a representative of all women who've ever been in ministry, right? So what's it like to be a woman in ministry? I don't know. I've never been a man in ministry, so I... <laughs> I got nothing, right? And, and I'm not thinking about being a woman in ministry all the time. You know, it's like my friend Jackie Rhodes. Jackie, where are you? Jackie's up there. I give a shout out to Jackie. Jackie's involved in multicultural student development here at Calvin, and we were talking this summer about what it's like to be the token person. And she said, yeah, it's not like you're thinking about what it's like to be a woman in ministry all the time. And I said, yeah, it's not like you walk around thinking, this is what it's like to be black all the time, right? I mean, you just don't. I mean, sometimes we're thinking about, I have to put gas in the car, and, you know, I have 27 emails waiting for me, and what are my kids doing tonight, and, right? And so sometimes it's really hard to be the representative of all things black, Korean, woman, chimes, chaplain, 
pick your group. But don't let the fear keep you from building relationships with each other. The enemy likes it when we do the box thing, when we keep in our group. He would really like it if we just, you know, stay right there and don't venture out and don't ask people what their lives are like because that allows us to live out of our assumptions and it keeps us all separate from each other and it weakens the church. Do you know what the church is like when we actually start having vulnerable, transparent, heartfelt, honest conversations with each other? I think it's like heaven. Do you know what the church is like? When I start to talk with Jackie about her experience of being at Calvin College and she starts to talk to me about my experience of being at Calvin College and we find we have lots of things that are uncommon and lots of things that drive us crazy and lots of things that excite us. It strengthens the church. We get to get built together and rise up into a temple, into a dwelling place for God. If I'm in my own little group and you're in your own little group, we can build like yurts or something, but we never get to build a temple. Paul says, you are a household together, members of each other. All of you together rise up to build a temple for the dwelling place of God. That's what we get to do. Sometimes we're going to stumble and make complete idiots out of ourselves, and then we just ask for grace and forgiveness. But if we don't stumble and make idiots of ourselves, we never learn. We never get to confess. We never get to grow. We never get to live out the gospel to each other. Jesus Christ is our peace. He has broken down the things that divide you. He has already broken them down, so don't you raise them up again. You get to live out that peace and that shalom and that dwelling place of God, and there is nothing more beautiful on the, church, on the world than when the church is working right. There's nothing more beautiful in the world than when the church is working right. So let's learn how to be church. And let's not be afraid to make stupid mistakes. And let's not be too proud to ask for forgiveness when we make them. Let's be more like Jesus. Let's live out the gospel. Let's be church. Will you pray with me? Oh, God, you are so patient with us. Here, Paul wrote these words 2,000 years ago, and we're still stumbling around, hiding behind politeness and comfort. Forgive us. And for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. And remind us that you have broken down the walls that divide us. And that we get to speak words of grace and hope and love to each other. We pray that this is a week in which those walls keep coming right on down. We ask your rich blessing on the church of Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing on Calvin College. 
Oh, Lord, we pray for your mercy to pour down on us and for your peace to live out through us. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody says, amen.